it. Amen. The text this morning is a return again to the passage on wives and husband, but particularly on wives in Ephesians chapter 5. I'll be reading verses 22 through 24 and then 31 to 33. These are the words of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their husbands in everything. And then verse 31, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of marriage. And for all you plan to use marriage for, including instructing the church in her relationship to Christ, open our eyes, Father, to know how we might better understand the role and duties of wives and live accordingly by your grace, by your goodness, and in your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. I mentioned last Lord's Day, and I will again now referring to this question that has become almost a joke, a meme and a joke, what is a woman? What is a woman? What is a woman? When that question cannot be answered out loud in public straight from the teachings of the one who made the first woman and cannot be done without any embarrassment, then we have become Ichabod. The glory has departed. Let me explain. We will be a defeated and shamed culture for not knowing what a woman is. That culture cannot flourish. It will implode on itself. Why? Because woman is the glory of man. Because woman is the glory of man. 1 Corinthians eleven seven. If there is no woman, then there is no glory for man or mankind. We live in a day where words like female, feminine, wife, mother, homemaker are considered ugly and demeaning. They're trigger words now. But we know that these words define what God created. And when we reject those words and those definitions, when we reject those duties, we turn into a world where a third of our young girls are now considering suicide. Because there is no woman. They don't know who they are. They don't fit anymore. Our world has become a place where there is no woman. The word teaches us that is a terrible place for us to be. For when God looked down and saw the man on the sixth day, he said, it is not good for man to be alone. What is a woman? Woman is is part of the salvation of the world. This short series on family is, is now going to end with the topic of what it means to be a wife. There needs to be a huge paradigm shift. And this is another way of looking at this. There needs to be a huge paradigm shift, a deep cultural repentance in the modern church to teach the rest of the world regarding submission, honor, and obedience to the Lord. And wives, we're told from these passages, wives play a crucial role in speaking to the church and then to the world in this. And so what is a wife? Verse 31 and 32 again. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. 
This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. As Paul goes through this passage on wives and husbands, he he wants to, in, in the passage, he, he, he's really talking because he then goes on and talks about children and parents and other duties and other roles within society. He really wants to talk about wives and the role that wives need to play, husbands and the role that husbands need to play. But he can't avoid, he can't avoid immediately bringing in the fact that he's really talking about Christ and the church. Because the relationship of a wife and a husband, the relationship of a husband or wife is, is a reflection, a mirror of the reality of Christ in the church. It, 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 he's saying it exists. The only reason husbands and wives exist in the roles that he has defined is because he wants them to be a reflection. God wants them to be a reflection of the relationship of Christ in the church. We're to learn about the gospel through marriages. We're to learn about the gospel through the image of God in the way that God created the image, I'm sorry, image of man in the way that God created him, he created him male and female. And what happens is, so, so what, is a, what is a wife? A wife is a woman who, of her own volition, joins herself to a particular man with vows of faithfulness and consummates those vows with sexual, a sexual union. Now, not everybody's a wife, not every woman is a wife. And so it being a being a wife isn't all that there is to being a woman. Being a woman is being one of those who's made in the image of God. But there's a reason that he made women and men. There's a reason that he made a man and then a woman. And, there, and there's something to be realized within the whole society at large, regardless of in the moment, of, in, in that particular moment, you are a wife if you're a woman or not. There, there's something to understand about how society is to be built by understanding, acknowledging, respecting the roles of husband and wife. And so this, a wife is somebody who has joined herself of her own volition to a particular man, not to men in general. She's not making any pledge to submit to men in general. Women are not to submit to men in general. A woman is, is making vows of faithfulness to a particular man into a particular role alongside of him. She does this with vows and then she does this with, consummates that with a sexual union. The, the sexual union, this sexual union uh, in, with, with vows of protection is the only place where such an activity is actually a deep blessing. In every other situation, such sexual activity brings nothing but curses and discipline and difficulties and tragedy. That, that's all it brings. Oh, it, it might bring a moment of security, a moment of pleasure, a moment of, uh, of, of something that feels good. But in the end, for the individuals and for society, it brings tragedy. It brings difficulty. It, it, it does not bring the blessing of God. But the sexual union that we, are, we enjoy as husband and wife in those vows of marriage is something which God blesses greatly with a mutual indwelling of one another and the, and the giving as God, as God brings forth of children in, in the work of rendering exactly what the purpose of marriage is for. Paul quotes Genesis 2.24 when he's talking about a wife and a, and a husband because this is paradigmatic for all marriages, both in the purpose and in the details. The details include one man and one woman for life. There's basically the details. One man and one woman for life. And the purpose, the purpose 
is to fulfill the cultural mandate of filling and subduing the earth to the glory of God. If, if it wasn't, then Mary, we might think of, what we tend to think of is we tend to think of as marriage as kind of a tack-on to human society and flourishing. Like, humanity exists, and if we want to, maybe we'll think as humanity that marriage is maybe a good thing and important. But, but God introduces marriage with the very first man and the very first woman with the very first command to be fruitful and multiply and to subdue the earth, to fill it and subdue the earth, take dominion, to do what I've done over the earth. Now I want you to go and do that all over the earth as my vice regents. And in order to do that faithfully, Adam, you're going to need a particular kind of helper. Here she is. She will come from your side. She will come from you. I will separate you into two, and then I will fashion this perfect helper for you, and then I'll bring the two of you together, needing one another, um, satisfying one another, working together in a new union, a new union that will then produce the work that I've called you to do upon this earth. But then there was the fall and the terrible twist that came because of the fall. The biblical roles of husband and wife existed prior to the fall, which is why Genesis 2.24 can be naturally inserted into this section of Ephesians. But when Adam and Eve fell, it affected their relationship with God, with one another, and with creation. Eve was told that it says in Genesis 3.16, your desire shall be for your husband and he will rule over you. And this word desire is not a hope for a sweet, perfect relationship with one's husband, which some feminists purport, that, and, and it's proven really that the other use of the word in, uh, in chapter 4, verse 7, is when God is speaking to Cain and he's warning Cain um, about his evil. He knows he has this sin in front of him, this opportunity in front of him. He warns Cain, if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire, that's, there's the word, and its desire is for you, but you shall rule over it. The desire was something to, to put down. The desire was something that must be turned away from. It is a desire to usurp the headship of the man and to wrongly dominate of course, you see this exactly in terms of what Cain does with Abel in terms of wrongly dominating. He kills him. The marriage relationship was now going to be tough. <clears throat> and so when Paul writes to the Ephesians, he writes to them and he, and he commands them regarding their, their fleshly desires. He, he, he commands to their weaknesses. He commands to the kind of thing that they think that they want to do in a marriage because of their flesh, but they must put away. The desire for the man is to rule in an, in an inappropriate manner um, uh, with his bullishness over a, um, over a wife, but instead he is to love her. Thank you very much. <clears throat> he knows, he understands. <laughs> happens when you're up here. <clears throat> And so he, he speaks to and commands to his particular weaknesses. Not that wives aren't to love their husbands, but husbands need to be told regularly to love their wives. She, in her, fallen, in, in her fallenness, because of the fall, has this temptation to want a desire to, to, to take over the husband's role, to, especially as in his, whatever he's imperfect in. Um, it, it, it's a 
It's proverbial truth that uh, uh, women despise a vacuum, not the one that you plug into the wall, but the lack of leadership, the lack of rule, the lack of headship. They despise it, and they jump in immediately. Or if they think that it's not going the way that they want, they, they think that they, it can be better, they, they're tempted to want to take over. And so wives are told to submit, to honor, to reverence, to obey their husbands, to take the role that God has, has, has given to them. N- not that husbands are not to respect or honor um, th- their wives, but, they, but the particular temptation for the wife is to try to usurp that role that the husband has been given to be the one who takes the sacrificial leadership of, of the home and of the relationship. So the marriage relationship was going to be tough. And, and, and when Paul is writing in Ephesians, in, in these chapters 4, 5, and 6, he's, he's commanding us, particularly in the areas that we are weak in, that we tend to fall away from obedience to the Lord. All of chapter 4, 5, and 6 is really about that. He speaks to wives then in this particular way. This is why Paul and all pastors have to preach and teach and exhort husbands and wives to live according to God's design. And so verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. A Christian wife must, first of all, though, submit herself to the Lord and to his word. Wife cannot obey uh, verses 22 through 24 without first obeying verses 18 through 21. Listen to them. Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. You're not going to be able, a wife is not going to be able to fulfill verses 20 through 24 unless she first is fulfilling, cultivating verses 18 through 21. She must be filled with the Spirit. She must allow that spirit to speak through her as she speak, put the word deep in her heart as she sings and makes melody in her heart with the psalms, with the psalms that God has given us to sing, to meditate on, to eat, to take into ourselves. This is what he has commanded you to do. And to begin by giving thanks always, as Brett reminded us in our call to prayer, for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ submitting to one another in the fear of God, a a genuine humility all around, first of all. Um, You could even say she cannot live out any of Ephesians 4 through 6, as none of us can, unless we first believe Ephesians 1 through 3. Unless we first believe all that God has promised that he has done for us and has given to us and will be giving to us in, in chapters 1 through 3. We talked about that last time as well. She cannot, if you look at the very beginning of chapter 4, she cannot walk worthy of the calling unless she believes that she has been called. In other words, the, the, the verses, the, the commands that are in chapters 4, 5, and 6, um, many of them you might read and think they're really hard, hard commands. Actually, they're not hard. They're impossible. They're impossible outside of the work of the Spirit of God in us transforming us, feeding us, growing up into Christ, emboldening us with the power of the Spirit, with the fruit of the Spirit in order to obey. You will not be able to keep these commands outside of an honest, true, sincere um, humility before God himself. 
and understanding receiving his grace, his overwhelming mercy, his, um, his wisdom, his righteousness, his ways taught to you and your ability to walk in them. That, that's the beginning of submission right there. Because she is submit, to submit to the Lord first, it follows that her submission to her husband is never absolute. Her submission is first to the Lord, and so she is to submit to her own husband as to the Lord. And so because it is as to the Lord, there are times when a woman submissively declines to follow her husband and even goes to other authorities. Because no human authority is absolute. There, there are authorities. There's a real hierarchical structure in our society in, in, in any number of ways, and God has instituted these. But none of those authorities are, they don't come out of the man. They don't come out of the men who are leading a particular way. They don't come out of the leaders in the church. They're not, they, they are delegated authority from God into a particular office. You see that? It's not that they are kind of innate in the person but rather they are delegated authority that are given particularly by God to, um, in in this situation, to the husband. So all righteous authority is delegated from God. It doesn't come directly from the husband. Therefore, she is submitting to the husband as to the Lord, um, but whenever, but but if he's not, he's not allowed to, to, um, command of her to do things which are immoral, to, to do things which the Lord would not approve of. And th- there are other authorities that God has given that she needs to, she must appeal to if she needs wisdom and direction or help. It, it's, just, it's just not true that, uh, that uh, a husband has any kind of ultimate authority over his wife. Now, having said all of that, and it needs to be said because there are, uh, there are men who abuse the relationship as husbands in that kind of way. And wives in that situation um, often um, get manipulated in a particular way that they think that they, it would be wrong for them to go and get help. No, they must go get help. It's required of them to go and submit to the other authorities and, and get the help that they need. But having said all of that, it must be said, I must say as a pastor... And, and a counselor, that this is not the usual place where applying these verses is difficult. It's not the, the kind of situation in most situations where obeying the Lord with regard to submitting to husband, for the wife to submit to the husband, um, is the difficult time. The difficult time is just simply when you don't want to. And this is... <coughs> This is why Paul has to say this and preach this. He does it several times, so does Peter in, in his epistles. It's, it's a normal temptation. It's the, the normal difficulty that has, to be, um, that has to be taken care of. Well, I want to speak about obedience in general for just a minute. Obeying the Lord. Obedience to the Lord. Obedience to the Lord is always glorious. I think we can start there. Obedience to the Lord, if you're a Christian, it's always glorious. It doesn't mean that it won't be difficult, it won't be hard, but it's always glorious. When you see this, it was glorious when Abraham was willing to obey the Lord even to the point of sacrificing his son. What came, what glory came from Abraham willing to sacrifice his son up to the point of raising the knife. Well, in Genesis 22, um, right, after, right after that incident, God says to Abraham, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed 
because you have obeyed my voice. In Genesis 26, 4 and 5, he says, And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven, and I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. We sang the last stanza of Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is 176 verses, um, 22 stanzas of eight verses, every single verse talking about the word of God, about his commands. Um, and, and, every, and every verse, as you read through it, talks about, in, in 176 different ways, the glory of keeping God's word, of finding God's word your place of refuge, of, of, of turning to it instead of to other, other places for direction. Uh, Psalm 119 um, is the reflection of a psalmist who knows following God's word, obeying God's word is glorious. It's glorious. Obedience to the Lord made Israel his treasured possession, Exodus 19.5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Israel is promised to become a glorious treasure of God because of their obedience. That's the promise that is given. You obey me and you become this glorious nation. You obey me and you become this glorious person. You obey me, family, and you become a glorious family. Obedience to the Lord brings forth all kinds of glory. So I said in the last sermon, getting married is not simply an option for men and women. It is an act of obedience. And there is much glory that comes upon the earth from that obedience. There's much glory that comes upon the earth from the obedient act of men and women getting married. We're blessed with generations of families, generations upon generations. We're blessed with an order that God has given us for a way of training up the next generation, of equipping the next generation, of, of, of children being able to stand on the shoulders of their parents and do more because they have grown up in a particular kind of home and in, in a particular kinds of ways. This is, what's, this is the glory that comes from this kind of act of obedience. There's much glory that comes from such obedience. And so a wife is to obey her husband, imitating Sarah. Wrong verse there. It's 1 Peter 3, 5 and 6. It says, For in this manner in former times the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. So we're, we're promised, women are promised that their glory, they're going to be adorned with glory because of their obedience to their husbands, which is obedience to the Lord. This is a glory that is going to be given. A godly woman adorns herself with submissiveness to her own husband. <coughs> and older women are to instruct the younger women in this, Titus 2, uh, verse 5. We'll, we'll look at Titus in just a moment. Jesus obeyed the Father. He obeyed the Father. He obeyed the Father's will. We've seen this as we've been going through the Gospel of John. Uh, he says, I only speak what the Father has, has given me to speak, and I'm only doing the works that the Father has given me to do. And he, it, we're now in that passage in John as he's focused, he's about to go to the cross, 
And as he's going to go to the cross, you're going to hear him say, um, I, I'm going to obey, I'm following my father, and he's going to say, glorify me. This is the time of my glory. What is going to reveal the glory of Christ? The cross. Jesus' obedience before the Lord is going to reveal his glory. And how is that glory going to be revealed? Well, that glory is going to be revealed not just by his death, but by his resurrection, by the exaltation that God the Father is going to give him. God gives glory out of obedience. Philippians 2.8, being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So this glorious obedience that cost Jesus his life results in his exaltation and glorification to all of the world. And, and glorification that doesn't just, um, it doesn't just lift him up, but it brings forth salvation to all who call upon his name. In other words, the glory has a work upon the world around him, the world that he, that he influences as well. This is very true for wives and mothers. Their obedience before the Lord in the role of wife is, is something which then affects not, not just them, but all around them. The influence that they have in their submissive adornment to their husbands has a, um, has a powerful effect upon the world all around them. God brings that effect. God brings those results. The question is, is not whether or not this is true. The question is not whether you are going to believe it because you don't want to be a wife who is, who is gritting your teeth and bearing um, submission and listening to the world talk about what that really means. Instead, what you want to see is the powerful tool that God has given you in your role as, as a part of one who is changing the world in that role as a wife. Turn with me and, um, well, so wives are imitating Christ. That's what's going on here. Wives are imitating Christ in their submission to their head, and they should do so as the crown or the glory of their husband, trusting the Lord for greater blessing and exaltation, which is what he will give. Paul writes another letter. He writes the letter to Titus. I want you to turn there. To Titus in, in Titus chapter 2, and in, in doing this now, I'm going to be repeating much that I have given before in, um, in other sermons, but, um, but I think it, it just fits so appropriately in terms of what we need to, to always kind of turn back to, especially as the culture around us is just thumping strongly against um, what it means to be a woman. What is a woman? What is a wife? What is a mother? Is it a good thing? Is it something that we should um, be honoring and upholding and protecting? And the way that Titus comes at it, the uh, way that Paul comes at it, at it as he writes to Titus, is that it is, it's so important that older women who have, who have such wisdom in this themselves need to be teaching the younger women in it. Titus 2, 3 through 5. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient, in their own husband, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. 
It's interesting that he says that not only are they to teach, but they're to admonish. Because again, there's, there's all kinds of pressure. There was already in, in Paul's day all kinds of pressure for, for this not to be the direction that, um, that a young wife might think is, is the appropriate, the right way to go. Women are to learn wisdom from older women, and they can see from Paul what kinds of lessons to look for. Um, a, number of, a number of you, a number of women here that I know are faithfully walking in the Lord and are faithful wives in these things, boy, as I, as I think about who you are, I, reg, I, I, can, I can see behind you, I know older women that you've turned to, older women who have instructed you. And, and they have been able to instruct and admonish you in the kind of way that has really built you up into the role that you are in. And that's a great kindness of God when he gives that to you. The older women, first of all, are themselves instructed against their own temptations. They are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. And they're to do so with an eye to admonish than the younger women. Paul seems to be generalizing the kinds of temptations that older women may need to remember to continue themselves to mortify. Some of their roles, especially the roles of, of being a mother, may have come to um, an end in terms of that daily kind of responsibility. And there can be certain temptations that then the older women can fall into. They're to be reverent in their behavior, not slanders, um, not busybodies, it says in, in Timothy as well, not given to much wine, and teachers of good things. They have much to pass on. And they should be these teachers. Paul seems to, be, uh, to, to speak to them so that then they are ready to speak to the younger women. He says they're to be home-centered and husband-centered and children-centered. In verses five, 4 and 5, um, you can see in these verses and in Proverbs 31 that the wife is to have her priorities towards the home which is different than saying that her place is in the home. It's not that she is to remain in the home and only in the home. It doesn't mean that she can't have some kind of business that she is involved in, that she's not um, involved in the economy of the the house in any any of a number of ways. But there is this emphasis of of her being, uh, her priority being in the home. And this is connected to the the husband's calling um, is outward because he's been called, first of all, to take dominion. And hers is particularly husband word because she's been called particularly to come alongside her husband. Doesn't mean she's also not going to be outward with him, but it, but it means that her first priority is in the home. He brings to her the things of the earth. She glorifies and beautifies and, um, and becomes the, the, the manager, the despot, the, the queen, the, the, the lady of the home and of the things of, of that home. And so, Um, So she is to learn great skills in dominion, particularly dominion in the management of the home. She oversees the spending of the home budget, uh, Proverbs 31, um, 14. But she might also make decisions in the purchase and sale of property and goods. So it says in in Proverbs 31, 16, she considers a field and buys it. From her profits, she plants a vineyard. 31, 24, she makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. She brings those things into the home to make the home a glorious place of feasting and rest and ministry. 
Listen to these verses from Proverbs. She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed with scarlet. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. So, in verse 26, it also says, she opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She's wise. She's wise. She knows the ways of the world. She's well-educated herself. She can speak into the lives of others. She can be a great advisor to her husband. She's prim- primarily involved in, in the education, the upbringing of the next generation underneath the husband and wife. The idea is that this is not a real vocation, when someone says, what are you? And I say, I'm a homemaker. Well, yes, but do you work? Is, is such foolishness. It's proof that this culture despises women and the ministry of a wife and mother. There is so much and so much important work to be done as a wife and a mother, as a, as a, as a homemaker. She's husband-centered. Titus um, two four. While well, it's translated oftentimes to love their husbands, the, the word there is a, a kind of a strange Greek word. It really is this combined word meaning husband lovers. They're husband lovers. They're into husbands. They're into kids. They're into their homes. They're husband lovers. Um, Five thirty three calls wives to respect their husbands, and the word there is phobos, where we get our word phobia. Doesn't mean they're supposed to have husband phobia, by the way. But it means a fear or, or, or reverence. Together, this means more than not showing disrespect, although it does mean that, not showing disrespect, but it means far more than that. She's to have a positive display of admiration, honor, and reverence to and about her husband. In First Peter, actually, he, he, he says that this kind of respect that is given to a husband transforms him, makes him more respectable. Um, even if he is disobedient in a particular way, her, her attitude and her demeanor towards him, without a word, she can win him. But, but the words that she can use are words of reverence to and about him, to him and to others. So, so she's to have this positive display of adoration, admiration and honor. In Song of Songs, it says, like an apple tree among the trees of the woods, so is my beloved among the, song, the sons as she describes, he's better than all the others. This verse continues, I sat down in his shade with great delight and goes on to describe the erotic love of husband and wife. So honoring her husband includes her responsiveness. She is to gladly receive his advances, both as a holy blessing, um, understanding, uh, understanding the marriage bed is a, is a holy place with holy activities that God honors, and as a protection for her and her husband. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says, Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise the also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. And so in the Song of Songs, I am my beloved's, and his desire is toward me. And she sees that as a good and righteous thing. So she's home-centered, she's husband-centered, she's children-centered. The fruit of such husband-loving is naturally and regularly children. 
Titus 2.4 also lit literally is rendered their children lovers. And this means that as God grants the opportunity for children, her day-to-day -day activities will be filled with them. These are your disciples. This is your ministry. Moms will be first in the daily discipleship and education and discipline of their children. These are the ones God has given you and your husband in that cultural mandate to fill the earth. We probably will not have finished the work of taking dominion of the earth in our lifetime. We are going to need, in order to obey God, our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren to many, many generations to accomplish what God has given us. And that means we must be constantly, as the people of God, a part of, of, of thinking about what it means to train up the next generations of children around us. That responsibility falls upon fathers. Fathers um, are to educate their children, to train up their children in the paideia of the Lord, to bring up the entire enculturation of, of, of the Christian mindset, worldview, and education to their children. And that is regularly and, and rightly delegated with regard to duties to wives and to, to women. So when, when a culture despises life bearers, life givers, life nurturers, and life glorifiers. We become nothing more than cogs in a meaningless machine, empty of all glory and into nothing but chaos. And, and that's, that's what happens when we deny what a woman is, when we deny what a wife is, when we deny what a mother is and the importance of that. What we are saying is that we hate life bearing. We hate life giving. We hate life nurturing. We hate life glorifying. And what do we have all around us? We have a society that when you talk to individuals, when you talk to people, they can't tell you really what the purpose is of their life. They can't really tell you eternally beyond themselves why they exist. And when they can't understand why they exist... Then, then all, the, all they end up doing, all we end up doing is trying to just fulfill immediate felt needs as best we can. And, and we become very selfish, very self-consumed. And, and then what comes from that is all kinds of despair and darkness. And that's growing all around us because we have denied what a family is for. We've denied, the, we've denied what children are for. We've denied what a husband is for, what a wife is for what fathers and mothers are for. But I'm speaking to a number of people who I know are nodding in agreement with me. What I want, what I want to encourage us all to, to be thinking about is that we have a way of turning this culture around, not in and of ourselves, but in our faithful obedience before God in this, with a view towards many generations down the line, in some weird sense, we're like a remnant, even within, even within the Christian world, of those who get it, of those who understand why we're here in, in a way that is far beyond ourselves. I'm speaking to people I know who, who know that they're following the Lord, not, not just because, well, well, that was a really good thing to do and I feel a lot happier in my life. I'm, I've added a whole bunch of things to my life. I, I like this and I like that. And this Christianity thing is kind of nice too. And it's going to, that it'll just be something else I can have. And instead realize a very central focus because you've been born again. Because you're new in, in Jesus Christ. And if you're not, then, then, I'm, then I'll tell you now that this is the place that you find 
your, your true purpose and meaning in life. Why do you exist? For the glory of God. Why do marriages then exist? For the glory of God. Why do your children exist? For the glory of God. And that's not because he's a megalomaniac. And everything's just for his glory. It's all about me, all about me, God says. No, it, the, the glory that is given to him redounds. It, it, it brings forth more fruit and more glory. We end, up, we end up becoming the inheritors of that glory. We get to experience and taste it here in the midst of the hardships, in the midst of the trials and difficulties. When you, you know when your mindset is right, when you get this, when the Spirit gets you and you get this, you get tastes of, yeah, this is what it's about. This is what it's about. This is what society is about. This is why I have neighbors. This is why I have schools. This is why we have work to do. This is why there are government structures. This is why there are nations. It's all for the glory of God. And it starts here in the roles of husband and wife. It starts in families. Our culture will not and cannot flourish without wives and mothers, without homes of faithfulness and the love of Christ spilling out. Husbands are the head of the home and wives are the nuclear power in that home. What they produce, what they give, the way they glorify, who they are to their husbands and children will, over generations, change the world. A wife glorifies a husband and a home, and those homes become the very building blocks of faithful societies. So all this instruction declares that husbands and wives, by the God-ordained stations that they have been placed, will have an inescapable impact on the building of a culture, for good or for wrong, for good or for evil. It, we will build up or we will tear down by how we use these structures that God has given to us beginning with our own children. Bitter, disrespectful, and unsubmissive wives will produce a particular kind of church and culture because wives are to submit to their husbands as, as the church to Christ. Abusive and angry husbands will destroy a grace-saturated, joyful, and hopeful kingdom because they're not taking sacrificial responsibility. But you've been brought out of such death-dealing natures. You have. This is not the way that we are anymore. We have taken off the old man. We have put on the new man. We are new people in Christ. And in Christ, you've been granted a new life, a new way of living, a new way of seeing the world, a new way of being human. You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit and promised to be taken all the way to the end, to heaven and to eternity and to resurrected bodies. And you are able to be filled by him and with his word in such a way that by grace alone, not by you, but by grace alone, out of his overflowing life, you and your home will be conduits of radical resurrection, reformation, revival, and renewal in this and future generations and throughout the world to the glory of the name of of Jesus Christ. You are to receive this gift as grace through faith. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, our culture despises women, hates wives and mothers. Protect our women from the lies around us, from the violence against them, 
And let us, with an eye to your word and our hearts in your spirit, cultivate the glorious gift of womanhood, of feminine glory, and the gift that wives and mothers are. Strengthen our wives to faithfully serve you and their families in the calling that you have given them. In Jesus' name, amen.